Amen. Church family, grab a seat. I love the words to that song. It's become one of my favorites. Yet not I, but through Christ in me. What a beautiful encapsulation of what the gospel is and our need for the Savior, uh, Jesus, in our lives. I want to say good morning uh, to all of you who are here in the room with us, as well as to our online church family. Welcome to you. Happy that you're here. Uh, if this is your first time here at New Life or maybe watching us online, my name is Chris, one of the pastors here. And if you happen to be new, you picked a, a wonderful time to, joining, to join us because we are right on the front end of a brand new message series through the New Testament book of First Thessalonians. First Thessalonians, I think probably one of the more neglected uh, New Testament epistles or letters in the entire New Testament. Um, it, but, but I love this letter as I've kind of gotten into it the last couple of months and I've been reading it and meditating on it. I'm really excited that we get to spend the next couple of months as a faith family in this letter. One, because it's incredibly relevant, man, like just kind of what Paul's talking about to these young believers, so relevant to us as followers of Jesus in 2021. And I also love it because it's both encouraging and instructive, right? And I think that as followers of Jesus, like we need both, don't we? We need to be encouraged, but we also need to be challenged in our faith walk. And this is exactly what Paul does with these young believers in Thessalonica. And so I think it's, it's, it's just gonna be a great study for us. Now I want you to think back um, for those of you who are in Christ, so you would say, yeah, I'm a disciple of Jesus. I, I love Christ. I've given my life to him. And, and no, I don't follow him perfectly, but, but I do love him, and it's my desire to become more like him. And I, and I do realize that every single week we have people uh, with us in the house as well as watching online, and, and you're not there yet, right? And that's okay. Like, you're, you're just kind of exploring the faith. You're kind of on the, on the fence, and, and I want to say to you, welcome. I'm, I'm glad that you're here with us. And in fact, I think this is an awesome study for you just to kind of see maybe behind the curtain a little bit to see really what it is we believe as followers of Jesus, who it is that we're trying to follow, what our lives as redeemed people, forgiven people is all about. But for those of you who would say, yeah, I'm in, man. Like I team Jesus all the way, love him, not perfect, still flawed, still sinful, but I love him. For those of you who would be in that category, let me just ask you to think back to the time when you first became a believer. So those, those early days, those early months, those early years. Um, maybe for some of you, that was when you were a kid, right? So you were five, six, seven, eight years old. For others of you, maybe it was high school or middle school. Maybe it was a, like a moving summer camp experience with your youth group. Uh, for others of you, maybe like me, a little bit later in life, like I was a college student. I was 20 when I gave my life to Christ. For others of you, it was even later. You were kind of down the line. You had a family. You had a career. I want you to think back to those, those first days, weeks, months, and years. Can you think of maybe a person that that invested in your spiritual journey in the early days in a significant way, or maybe they served just kind of as, a, as an example for you to follow. Can you, think, can you think back? Do you have a picture of, of somebody in your mind or a picture of some bodies, maybe it's plural, in your mind? I, I know for me, like I, I think back on my spiritual journey and, and the first people that had the greatest impact on my life were, were A, my parents, right? And so uh, my parents were godly, and so they just kind of infused the gospel into our everyday life. And so I remember growing up hearing the good news about the gospel, and certainly I wouldn't be who I am today without that investment from my mom, from 
my dad. And then I, there, I also remember once, once I got into middle school, I was probably like 14, 13, 14, 15, kind of in that age range. I was going to uh, my church youth group and there was this lady, a youth volunteer, who was probably like 45 at the time. And uh, I was sharing some of this with our, with our youth volunteers just this last week. And, and, and listen, guys, when I was 13, 14, 15, I, I, was, I was just a punk, right? I'm still kind of a punk, but I was definitely like major punk back then. And, and I look back at my life and I'm like, man, I don't know why anybody would have wanted to invest in me at all when I was 13, 14, 15. But God, for whatever reason, and his, and his love and his grace and his sovereignty sent this woman to, to love on me and to invest in my life. And so, man, she would call my parents and be like, hey, what's Chris's favorite restaurant? And she's like, man, can I, can I pick him up and take him, get his favorite hamburger? Man, she just invested in me and loved me and poured into me and gave me kind of a safe space as a very confused young man and as an angry young man to kind of just open up and work through some things. And man, she just spoke truth into my life. She just spoke the gospel into my life, and she said things like, Chris, God's, I know you don't see it now. I know you probably don't even want this now, but God's got a plan for your life. He's going to do something with you. And I don't know why, man, but I just couldn't get those words out of my head. I just believed her. I didn't even necessarily want to believe her. But she invested in me, and she didn't even get to see the returns of that investment, right? I was long gone from the youth group by the time I gave my life to, to, to Christ in college as a 20-year-old. And then once I gave my life to Christ, I remember there was this young man probably 10 years ahead of me at the time. I was 20. He was probably 30. And, and I started following Jesus, and, and he was in the church that I was in. And I, so I just, like, I, I came up to him one Sunday after church. I was like, hey, man, I know it sounds kind of weird, but, but would you invest in me? Like, this is kind of new. I just need somebody to kind of, could I be your wingman? You know, and, and he did. And so he took me in and we met once a week and we had opened the scriptures and we had talked about the gospel and how, how the gospel applied to my life and how that should affect the way that I live and view the world and interact with other people. And it was amazing. And he invited me to move in. So I moved into his basement one summer and just watched him live life, watched him argue with his wife, watch him apologize for arguing with his wife, watch him yell at his kids, watch him make that right. Man, it was such an influential time in my life. I've got those people in my story who served as examples in my spiritual journey. I'm guessing that many of you have the same thing, don't you? If you really kind of think back to that time, all those people had a huge impact. Well, listen, that's exactly what we see happen in the first book to the Thessalonians, the first letter to the Thessalonians almost 2,000 years ago. That's what Paul was for these brand new Thessalonian believers, and then the Thessalonians became that for other believers. And that's really the way it's designed to work, right? So if you're kind of new to the whole Christian thing, you're new to the church thing, that's what we call multiplication. That's what we call discipleship, right? What we receive as followers of Jesus, we, we then pass on, right? So people invest in us, and then we invest in others. Like, it's not meant to just be kind of kept for ourselves, Selfishly, we, we, what we get, we, we pass on. That's what multiplication is. That's what the gospel does. It grows, it moves, it shapes, it becomes a movement, right? Now, if you were here last week, you remember kind of how we started. The Apostle Paul rolls in to this huge, influential city called Thessalonica, which, by the way, guys, it, it wasn't even on his radar. Like, he had not even planned to go to Thessalonica. In fact, his plans were to go to Asia, he wanted to go to Asia, he was going to share the gospel there, he was going to plant churches there, and the Holy Spirit said, nope, you're not going to Asia. And so then Paul was like, okay, well, we'll go north to, to Turkey, we'll go to Bithynia, and we'll share the gospel there, and we're going to plant some churches there. And the Holy Spirit was like, nope, you're not going there, you're not going there either. 
And so the Holy Spirit just kind of rerouted his life and he ended up in Thessalonica. He never intended to go there at all. And we talked about last week how that was such a great lesson, even for us, right? That so often God is more interested in our transformation than our destination. Now, a lot of us, if you're like me, you're impatient, and so you don't like that, but that's the reality. God is more concerned with our inner transformation than he is our final destination. Where it is we want to go in our career or with our school or with our relationship or whatever it is. And so they end up in Thessalonica. Paul rolls into this huge city with his posse, Silas and Timothy. We even talked about how that, that was important for us, right? Like Paul didn't do ministry. He didn't walk out the Christian life alone. He always had a posse with him. We talked about, hey, this is something that we need to apply to our lives as believers as we head into a brand new year. Don't walk out the faith journey alone. Find some brothers and sisters to walk the journey with you. Paul kind of sets that example for us. And so they go into Thessalonica. They share the gospel of Jesus to people who had never, probably never even heard the name of Jesus before. And they're only there for, for a short time, maybe a month, maybe two months, something like that. And they just almost miraculously, this brand new, vibrant church is born in Thessalonica. It was incredible. Right, we read about this last week in Acts chapter 17. Some Jews heard the, the gospel and they believed, they followed Jesus. A ton of Greeks, so people from a pagan background, idol worshipers, they hear Paul talking about Jesus and they're like, man, I'm in. Like, I've been waiting on this. You're telling me there's a God in heaven who loves me and who sent Jesus and now I can have a relationship with him through Christ and I can have an eternal, a significant, impactful life now and in eternity. Like, this is awesome, this is great news. So you had some Jews believe, a bunch of Greeks believe, and it even says a, a bunch of kind of the leading influential women in the city believed. So it was awesome. This was incredible. Like Paul and his posse never could have imagined this happening. They would have been so excited. But it creates kind of an uproar in the city, right? And so people are getting upset about it. And there's kind of like this riot in the city. Paul and his posse, they're run out of town. They're forbidden to come back, right? And so these brand new Christians now find themselves under persecution and they've lost their, they've lost their spiritual leaders. So can, can we just agree this is not an ideal situation for a brand new church plant, right? They're just getting hammered by the government. Their, their, their leaders just got kicked out of town. Not ideal, and so Paul kind of kind of has to run, and so he ends up in Corinth, this the city to the south. And he's wondering the whole time, because he loves these people, he's wondering, like, man, what happened to them? Like we just spent a couple months with them, and they were so eager, and I just fell in love with these people. And man, they, they just accepted the gospel message and they love Jesus and they're trying to grow and follow. And like, what happened to them? You know, are they, are they all in jail? Did they get executed by the government? Did they, did they fall away from their faith and deny Jesus? Like, what, what's going on? And so he actually sends Timothy, one of his partners, back to scope things out, see how they're doing. And so Timothy goes back, kind of sneaks into Thessalonica, gets a report, talks to the church leaders, kind of sees what's happening, and he comes back to Corinth and he reports to Paul. And he's like, Paul, listen, good news, they're standing strong. They're there, they're still there, they're still worshiping Jesus, they're still following him, they're thriving. Paul, in the face of adversity, man, they got a lot of questions about the second coming of Jesus, they got some struggles with sin that you're gonna need to address, but they're doing good, man. They're doing great, and so Paul is so proud. He's so excited about these new believers that he sits down and he writes them a letter, and this is the letter that we're studying we're kind of unpacking together for the next couple of months. And so we're gonna pick right up where we left off last week, 
Last Sunday, if you were here, you know we got through all of one verse. So by God's grace, we're going to do a little bit better uh, than that today. In fact, we're going to try to finish up chapter 1. So we're going to be in verses 2 through uh, 10 this morning. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and flip over uh, 1 Thessalonians. If you don't have a Bible, that's okay. It'll be on the screens for you as well. And this is what Paul writes to these believers that are going through so much difficulty that he loves so dearly. This is what he writes. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith, labor of love, and steadfastness, or maybe in your translation says endurance of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. So the first thing I, just, I don't want you to miss here is Paul's sincere love for these brothers and sisters. You can just, just kind of feel, sense his, his heart just brimming over with affection for these brothers and sisters. Like, like when Paul sits down and thinks about these brothers and sisters, he can't stop smiling. That's how I picture it, right? He just sits down, he thinks about them, and like, man, he just gets this, this grin on his face. It reminds me, sometimes I'll be sitting in my office uh, here, kind of working, and, and for one reason or another, sometimes I'll just think about my kids, or I'll look up on my wall, and I'll see a picture of my, my wife and my kids, man, and I'm just sitting there like a lunatic, smiling in my office, thinking about my family, right? Because I love them, and oftentimes my heart will even ache for them. I'm like, man, I need, to, I need to wrap up this dumb sermon so I can go spend some time with my wife and my kids. Like, I love them so much. And I think this is the kind of love and affection that Paul has for this Thessalonian church. Man, he loves them. He's thankful for them. He's praying for them. Guys, what a model for us. What a challenge for us. And I think even this, right out of the gate, should just prompt a question in our minds like, man, how am I practically loving and being thankful for and praying for the brothers and sisters in Christ that God has placed in my life? Or am I practically loving and being thankful for and sharing my thankfulness with them and praying for them? Am I, am I doing that? I am still, man, I'm still haunted by a quote that I came across just a couple of years ago from, from Anne Frank and uh, I'll put it up on the screens for you right now. This is what Anne wrote. She said, dead people receive more flowers than the living ones because regret is stronger than gratitude. Church family, could I just encourage you this morning to follow the example of Paul? Would you love, would you communicate gratitude? Would you pray for the brothers and sisters in the faith that God has strategically and sovereignly placed in your life? Now, I think most of us would have to admit this is, this is actually really hard because the, the truth of the matter is what comes easy for most of us is being critical, not thankful. Right? For most of us, it's super easy like to see the, the flaws in other people and the holes in their faith journey and the, the areas that they need to grow in rather than being thankful for how God is already working in them and through them. And I gotta tell you, church family, as I was just kind of studying this week, this was massively convicting to me. And, that, and that's really the, the hardest thing probably about being a, a preacher is like I, God has to kick me in the face all week long before I get up here and kick you in the face, right? It just, it just works me over. And as I was reading it, man, I was, I was just convicted. And so this week has been like a week of repentance for me. Because if I'm being really, really honest, far too often, man, I'm, I'm thankful for people, I'm grateful for them. And listen, guys, I, I never tell them. And I'll have those thoughts in my mind and I'll be grateful for them, but I never open my mouth. I never send that email. I never send that text message. And I certainly don't pray for them often enough. 
And so listen, guys, here's why that's a big deal. Oftentimes, it's the encouragement of other saints that is the fuel for our own spiritual growth. And haven't you found that to be true in your own life? Like, oftentimes, it's people that will speak into your life. They're like, man, I see Jesus working in you. I see the way you love your spouse. I see the way you're sharing your faith with your, your classmates or your coworkers. I see the way that you're living a sacrificially generous life in the kingdom of God. And that kind of prompts us, it stirs us up to follow Jesus all the more. And listen, some of you, I've got a group of people here who are just, man, you guys are my encouragers. You know, half a dozen people, a dozen people, just oftentimes I get a note and a mail from some of you guys. I'll get, a, I'll get an email of encouragement. And just so you know, I'm like, oftentimes that might be the spark that fans into flame a weary pastor's heart on a Monday morning. Right, we, we, all, we all need that, right? We, we need to love well. We need to encourage loudly. We need to pray fervently for one another. And so maybe the question for you just is how can you do that this week? How can you love others well? How can you encourage them? Not just in your mind. Don't just think it. How can you let them know the graces of Christ that you see in their lives? And how can you pray fervently for them? In verse three, Paul also points out three specific things that he just wants to affirm in these Thessalonian believers. He says, their work of faith, their labor of love, and their enduring of hope, or, or endurance of hope. And what Paul is doing here, what he's saying here is he's saying, hey guys, listen, I see that your faith is alive. I see, I see the evidence of your faith, right? Like it's enduring trials like you're you're doing a great job baby doing a good job keep going he's saying i'm so stinking proud of you guys and from that i want to just kind of draw our first overarching truth this will be on the screens for you if you're a note taker write this down real faith is real visible real faith is real visible right faith in jesus is not just some intellectual belief system that we tuck away harmlessly in the back of our brains it doesn't ever affect the rest of our lives right real faith in jesus is visible it's active it bleeds into how we live our lives and how we see the world and how we interact with other people what we value and paul is so proud he's so proud of this church family and let me just say this morning church family i am so proud of you guys now, are we perfect as a church family? No, we got, we, got, we got a ways to go. Probably especially because I'm your pastor, so you're starting at a disadvantage to start with, right? But man, I see the way that you love each other. I see the way that you serve each other. I see the emails. I sit in staff meeting. I hear the stories. I know how you're engaged in our mission locally and globally. I know so many of you practice generosity with your time and your talents and your spiritual abilities and your resources for the kingdom of Jesus. And so let me just say with Paul this morning as your pastor, good job. Good job. Let's not stop, man. Let's, let's keep going. Let's press in even more in 2022. This is not the time to back down. This is not the time to retreat. This is a time to ramp up our love for God, our love for each other, and our impact in the world around us. And so Paul then continues that line of thought in verse four. He says this, for we know, we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has, he has chosen you. And Paul is doing here what he oftentimes does. He's calling these believers back to their true identity. He's going, hey guys, listen, the, the reason that you're, you're living out this, this active and awesome faith journey is, be, listen, because God chose you. 
He set his affection on you before the foundation of the world. Ephesians chapter 4. He adopted you as cherished sons and daughters. And so listen, guys, I say this often. I'm going to keep saying it because I think it's true. Behavior always flows from identity. Behavior always flows from identity. That's why it's so important that we root our identity firstly, primarily in Christ over and above anything else. And so believer, whether you're in the room, whether you're watching online, before you are white, black, brown, Asian, understand this, you are a chosen child of the king of the universe. Before you are affiliated with any political party, you are an adopted son or daughter of the king if you are in Christ. Before you are anything, believer, you are the cherished, called out, chosen, set apart, beloved of the God of this universe. Do not let any secondary identity overshadow the only identity that can actually transform your life. Again, because behavior always flows from identity. So believer, we got to get that right before we can live out what Christ is calling us to live out. Paul continues on in verse 5. He says, because our gospel came to you, not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. Now, again, if you're new to this whole Christian faith thing, that's the way the gospel works. That's it in a nutshell, right? We, we hear the gospel. So, so somebody actually opens their mouth, whether it's our parents or maybe it's a, a pastor or a college friend or who it is. Somebody shares the gospel with us, and then the Holy Spirit begins to open our eyes and open our heart to spiritual truth. And oftentimes, it's things that we, we thought was, were foolish before, and all of a sudden now, we we're find that we're believing these things. And so I've talked to, to many Christians before who have said something to me to the effect of like, Chris, man, I was sitting there in my office one day, or I was flying on a plane one day, and I had a friend that kept sharing the gospel to me, or maybe I came to, I came to church with him a bunch of times, and I thought it was crazy. All this stuff about a dude crucified, goes into the grave, walks out three days later. I thought it was madness, but I just, I just kept listening to it. All of a sudden, one day, I was just sitting there like, dude, I believe that. Like, I can't even explain it. I just, I just know, I don't even know when it happened. I just know that I believe it. Like, I think that's true. I think there's a God who sent Jesus, and he lived a perfect life for me. He died a brutal death to pay for my sins, and he rose again to give me new life now and in eternity. And I, mean, I don't even know how that happened. That's the convicting work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, right? We, we hear the word, we hear the gospel, the Holy Spirit does his thing in our lives. He enlivens our hearts and our minds to understand the gospel, and then we believe. That's how the gospel works. That's how it spreads, right? Paul continues, you know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. And Paul's saying, hey, listen, we didn't just come preach the gospel to you. You actually saw us live it out. Right? We, we didn't just come speak the gospel and then slide back, slither back to our five-star hotel on the beach. No, we, we, we lived it out in front of you. Like you, you saw us not only proclaim the gospel, you saw us demonstrate the gospel. And see, guys, that's, that's when the gospel is most powerful, right? It's, it's most powerful through proclamation and demonstration. Now, in my experience, most Christians, most believers, tend to sort of lean towards one of those extremes or the other, right? So you know what I'm talking about. You got the, you got the Christians who are, they're the proclamation Christians. 
So, man, they're, they're going to tell you the truth, and, man, you're going to know they're a Christian. They're going to have the bumper sticker, and they're always going to post stuff on Facebook, and you're going to know what they believe, man. But, but oftentimes, it's not really couched with a whole lot of love. It's not really couched with a whole lot of grace. So you got, you got believers that are, that are like that, Christians that are like that. And then you have people on the, the other side of the spectrum who are more demonstration Christians, right? That's kind of like the idea of, I'm going to live out the gospel. My life is going to be a sermon, but I'm never going to actually open my mouth and say anything. And so they're really good at loving people. They're really good at, at, um, at, share, at sharing love, and maybe they're good at caring for the poor and the marginalized and things like that, but they're, they're really kind of timid about ever opening their mouth to tell people why it is they're living that life. And the danger in that is if you're not careful, people will begin to think that it's because you're so awesome, Instead of Jesus being so awesome and transforming your life. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to, kill, I don't want to steal any of Jesus' glory at all. So the reality is we have to do both, right? We have to proclaim, we have to actually open our mouths and tell people why it is we live this countercultural lifestyle. And then we actually have to demonstrate it. We can't just talk a good game. We actually have to live it out. And Paul is saying, I see both of these things in your life, Thessalonian Christians. Good job. Good job. Keep going. Keep proclaiming, keep demonstrating, keep marrying both of those things. It's powerful, it's working. And then in verse six, he continues on. He says, and you became imitators of us and the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Now, listen guys, this is one of the great paradoxes of the Christian faith. We've talked about this, but man, we see this over and over again in the pages of scripture. And that is the connection between joy and suffering for the follower of Jesus. Uh, somebody just texted me a, a quote that I wanted to kind of share with you relative to that whole idea of the Christian, that paradox of us suffering for Christ and yet finding joy in life even amongst the, amidst the suffering and the trials of life. And, and so this is actually a quote from a man named Richard Wombrandt, who was in Romania, 1900s, he was a, a Lutheran Anglican pastor. He was imprisoned by the communist government for his uh, faith in Christ. He actually wrote a book called Tortured for Christ. And this is, this is a quote from this guy who suffered. He knew about suffering for Christ. And uh, just, I think, a very powerful, uh, fascinating quote. This is what Richard writes. He says this, It was strictly forbidden to preach to other prisoners, it was understood that whoever was caught doing this received a severe beating. A number of us decided to pay the price for the privilege of preaching, and so we accepted their terms. It was a deal. We preached, and they beat us. We were happy preaching. They were happy beating us, so everyone was happy. And I love that, right? That, like, that, that's the message of Scripture throughout the generations is that, yes, we suffer just like everybody else, but we don't suffer for no reason. We suffer with hope. It's not that we have these, like, like this weird obsession, with, sick obsession with suffering. It's because we know who is with us through the trials, and that makes all the difference in the world. And as I begin my, my sixth year here at New Life, man, I've been here long enough that I, I have had the privilege of watching many of you walk through seasons of deep suffering. And I've been here long enough that I've helped some of you bury your spouse. I've helped others of you bury your children. Others of you bury your parents. 
And others of you walk through miscarriages. And others of you walk through financial calamity and job losses and all kinds of things like that. And yet so many of you, almost all of you, are the people, the pictures of people's faces that I'm just picturing in my mind over the course of the last five plus years, almost all of them walking through those painful, awful seasons of suffering with an unexplainable, underlying sense of joy. Not happiness, oftentimes through the tears but this unexplainable sense of joy because of who is walking with them through the trials and through the pain. And this is what Paul is saying. This is a beautiful expression of our faith in Jesus Christ. And he continues on in verse seven. He says, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. He's saying, guys, because your faith is so active, because it's so visible to the world around you, you've become an inspiration for believers near and far. So the buzz around the city of Thessalonica, other Christians and other churches would have been talking like, man, did you hear about the church in Thessalonica? Did you hear how hard the government is cracking down on them and they're losing their jobs and some of them are being imprisoned for their belief system? Man, but they're killing it over there. And they're following Jesus. They're loving each other. They're impacting the city around them. Like, we got to be more like the believers in Thessalonica. And Paul is just kind of affirming them. He's like, guys, listen, what you're doing matters. It's making a difference. Your suffering is not in vain. You're inspiring other believers to go all in and to follow Jesus at great personal cost and risk to themselves. Then I love verse 8. Paul continues on as he's encouraging them. And he says, for not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. Paul's like, dude, everywhere I go, I can't even, I can't even talk about you guys because they're already like, hey man, did you hear about the Thessalonians? Do you hear about the believers in Thessalonica, man? Like they're under so much pressure and yet they're loving Jesus and they're following Jesus and they're not retreating. They're advancing forward. They're loving each other. They're serving Jesus. It's amazing. Everywhere I go, I can't even get a word out before people are telling me about you guys. That's awesome. And that word, sounding forth, if you kind of dig into the Greek, kind of, kind of the idea there is a trumpet sounding. So I just want you for a minute to imagine that somebody kind of sneaks in the back right now during, uh, during the sermon and they just start blasting a trumpet. The first thing that's gonna happen is security's gonna tase them and drag them out into the parking lot. The, the second thing that's gonna happen is it's gonna get our attention. It's gonna grab our, it's noticeable. It's, a, it's attention grabbing. And Paul is saying, you boys and girls, man, you're sounding forth this gospel message like a trumpet, like right on. Good job, guys. And that leads right into our Second truth that I want to highlight together on the screens for you as well. Real faith is contagious faith, right? So it's not only visible. Real faith, authentic faith, is also contagious faith. That's what Paul is saying here. Real faith sounds forth from our lives. Guys, listen. A relationship with Jesus is not a compartment in our lives that we just dust off for an hour on Sunday morning. It's not. It was never intended to be that, right? It's real faith is evident enough in our lives that it begins to overflow into the lives of other people in our lives. It's contagious. Like other people are curious about it. Other people are being drawn into it. Like they want to know, like, how do you suffer with such joy? Like, how is that possible for you? How is it that you live such 
a radically generous life, man. Like everybody else around you is, they're spending their money buying bigger houses and bigger cars and fancier vacations and, and you're giving it away, man. You're loving other people. Why is that? How is it that you love your spouse so sacrificially? Why do you raise your kids so intentionally? Why do you love so recklessly and yet you live to this, this, this different set of, of countercultural values in your life? Like there ought to be this, this attraction, there ought to be this, this contagiousness to our faith. And Paul is saying, I see this in your life, Thessalonians. Good job. Keep going. And he closes out this section of his letter, starting in verse 9. It says this, For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, how you turn to God from idols, serve the living and true God, and wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. So Paul, in closing, kind of affirms three things in them that I think we probably ought to be imitating as modern-day disciples of Jesus in the 21st century. And I, I think we could just kind of boil this down to three words. So if you remember nothing else, remember this. It'll be on the screens for you. Turn, serve, and wait. If you get that, you kind of got the whole message today. That's kind of what he's affirming in his life. This is what we should be going after. Turn, serve, and wait. Number one, turn from what? Turn from idols. You got to understand, the Thessalonians would have been people from uh, mostly a pagan background. So they would, have been, they would have been worshiping like the pantheon of Greek gods, Zeus, and all the whole cast of characters. Or some of them actually would have even been in the imperial cult. Right? There was a temple that you go, you actually worship Caesar there. That would have been some of them. And they turned from all of these idols, from worshiping all of these lesser gods, to the one true living God. And guys, the call is the same for us. Now listen, our idols may look different in 2022, but they are no less lethal to our souls. So the call is the same for us, to turn from our idols of whatever it is. I don't know what it is for you. Maybe it's the idol of, of comfort, or the idol of being loved and accepted by everyone, or the idol of, here's a big one in the Western world, materialism. Right, we always want bigger and better and newer and more, and that's just kind of built into our DNA. Or maybe, if you're especially the younger generation, maybe, maybe the idol of social media relevance, right? You, you want that dopamine hit because right? you got 800 clicks or likes or whatever, shares or whatever it is. Maybe for you it's the idol of career advancement or recognition or power or sex or whatever it is. The call is the same for us. Believer, we are to turn from the idols of this world to Jesus Christ. We're called to turn in our lives, and this is a constant thing. It's not something we do once. It's a daily discipline. Here's the second thing that Paul affirms in them, and I think we should pursue as well. Not only are we to turn from idols, we are to serve Jesus and his kingdom. That should be the number one priority of our lives. Why? Guys, because our purpose has been transformed. We're no longer living to pursue other idols. Man, our purpose has been shifted to serving Jesus with our lives. And I don't know, maybe that's a healthy question for you to ask as we start a new year. How are you serving King Jesus right now? How are you investing your time and your abilities and your resources? Is it evident who you're serving in your life right now? The final aspect, the final aspect that the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul would point us to, is probably the one that I would argue we're worst at as American believers, and that's learning to live in a posture of waiting. 
right? So we're to turn from idols. We're to turn, we're to turn from idols in order to serve Jesus. And then the last one again is number three, wait for his return. You gotta understand, this is, this is the type of waiting that Paul is pressing us towards here. It's not a passive form of waiting, it's an active form of waiting. So the idea is, listen, guys, as, as, you, as you serve Jesus, you do so with one hand on the plow and one eye toward heaven. Right? See, because the reality is their hope in Jesus' return was the fuel that really kind of drove them to live these beautiful lives on earth, right? These Thessalonian believers, I think if they could stand here today, if they could walk up here on stage today and they could share with us, I think one thing they would say to us is, listen, guys, yeah, it's hard. Yeah, yes, following Jesus is hard. It's not always going to be easy. In fact, a lot of times it's even going to be messy. It's going to be painful. But listen, guys, it's all worth it. It's all worth it knowing that one day, man, we're going to see Jesus face to face. He's going to come back for us. He's going to make all things right. He's going to restore all things. So church family, let me just say, as we head into a brand new year, let's keep turning, let's keep serving, let's keep waiting. One hand on the plow, one eye, one gaze towards heaven, right? Let that be the fuel for us as we try to live out beautiful gospel-centered lives together as a faith family. And then one last thing at the end of verse 10, Paul reminds them that when Jesus returns, he will deliver them, he says, from, from the wrath to come. And what Paul's getting at there is the day of judgment. Now listen, there are not a lot of churches that preach on this anymore because it's not really a great church growth strategy. But I feel compelled by God that I am to preach the whole counsel of God's word, the things that you maybe like and the things that maybe you prefer not to hear. What Paul is saying here is, listen, there, there is gonna come a final day where the living and the dead stand before the throne of an infinitely perfect and holy God. And that will be a day of great terror for some and a, gray of etern- a day of eternal bliss for others. And so he's reminding these precious new believers that because they are in Christ, they have nothing to fear when Jesus returns because they've already trusted in his life, his death, and his resurrection. And their freedom is now secure in this life and in eternity to come. Now they can actually look forward to his return. Like, man, I cannot wait till Jesus comes back. I can't wait till I see him face to face when I see my Savior and I can be with him in his presence. And he comes and he restores all things and he does away with all evil and injustice and sin and he destroys death and he destroys cancer and depression and anxiety and all those. Like, I cannot wait until Jesus comes back. So he's encouraging them, man, that you don't have to fear the coming of Jesus. You're already in Christ. And so let me simply close by asking you a question. Let me encourage you, just just bow your heads with me for a minute. Close your eyes, whether you're here in the room, you're online as the band comes. And I I just kind of want to finish with with one question for you to kind of just think about, maybe in light of everything that God has said to us through 1 Thessalonians 1 this morning. Let me just ask you a question, very simply. If Jesus were to come back today, or if Jesus were to come back tomorrow or next week or next month, would you be in the category of people for whom that day would be a day of great terror? Or are you in the category of people for whom that day will be a day of eternal bliss? Because guys, I want you to understand something. At the end of the day, when all is said and done, I can promise you this. 
it will not matter how much money you made on planet Earth. It will not matter how far you advanced in your career. It will not matter if you had a great marriage or a mediocre marriage. All that will matter on that final day when you see Jesus, King, Lord, Savior, and Judge. The only thing that will matter on that day is whether or not you're in Christ or not in Christ. Nothing else will matter. And so let me just encourage you, let me say, man, if you're online, if you're here in the room with us this morning, and you would have to admit, like, man, I'm not in Christ. Like, I don't have what you're talking about. Like, I know some stuff about the Bible, I go to church sometimes, but I have never had my life revolutionized by the Savior that you're talking about. I don't have peace with God through Christ. I don't have a relationship with my Creator and Redeemer. If you would have to be honest and say, man, I think I'm in that category of people that if Jesus cracked the eastern sky this afternoon, I would be terrified because I'm not ready to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. If that's you, let me, let me, let me just encourage you. Like that, that doesn't have to be the case for you walking out of this room or signing off of the online live stream today. If that's something that you want to explore further, you're like, man, I, I know I need this. We're stepping into a brand new year. The world is as chaotic and dark as ever. Like, I need to know this Savior. I need to be able to, to suffer with hope and joy because of knowing Christ. And let me just encourage you. We're going to have some prayer partners up here in the front. Please come talk to us. It'd be our honor to talk to you about starting a personal walk with Jesus Christ that will transform your life. If you're watching online, there, there's a host. There's an online host. You can reach out. They'll connect you to one of us. Man, we can call you this week. We can go grab coffee or just have a phone call and talk to you about what it looks like to begin this walk with Jesus. And guys, I'm telling you, at the end of the day, this is all that's gonna matter in the end. Let me pray for us, and then we're gonna celebrate the Lord's Supper together. Heavenly Father, <clears throat> so grateful for your word for your spirit who takes the word and then convicts our hearts and our lives and begins the changing work in our lives so that we can become more like you God would you help us as we walk out of this room to turn from the idols in our lives would you remind us this is not just a one time decision to turn from idols when we come to you this is a, a daily cleansing it's a discipline where we crucify these idols that our hearts chase after every single day and we turn back to Christ. God, would you teach us to turn from those idols? Father, would you, would you inspire us like the Thessalonians to, to serve Jesus with our lives, not to waste our lives chasing things that aren't gonna matter in the end, but to use our lives and our energy serving King Jesus and his kingdom. God, and would you teach us to wait with anticipation, one hand on the plow, one eye towards heaven, expecting that maybe today, maybe this month, maybe this year, we'll be able to see Jesus face to face. We'll be with him forever, and he's going to make everything right. He's going to wipe away every tear, and he's going to kill cancer and death. And like, we can't wait until we see Jesus face to face. So God, would you help us turn well? Would you help us serve well? Would you help us wait well? 
in 2022 for our good and for your glory. We ask all these things in the beautiful name of Jesus.